The following podcast is presented by the Women in Comedy Festival as part of the WICF Podcast Network. Check us out at WICF.com slash podcast. This is Adapted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. Welcome to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. We are kicking off season two. We made it! With Invasion of the Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. What's your uh, what's your hot take on this one, Sam? Uh, so this is another one of those book movie adaptations where I kind of have to keep the movie separate from the book in my mind in order to really enjoy the movie. They are very different. They're very different. And if you watch the other film adaptations, also very different yes. takes on the basic concept. Um, I would say similarly, but like other side of that coin, mm-hmm. this is one of those things, both the book and the movie, I think are one of those things where like everyone knows yes. you don't have to read the book you don't have to have seen yep. any of the movies you know what they to are. know what the the pod people are the mm-hmm. body snatchers are like it's just it's like in the zeitgeist yes very much so um and one of my questions is because technically this is one of the so i saw the 1997 i saw pieces of the 1997 version adapted of the invasion i have seen it as well i watched it on television nice um but those are the only two so these are the only two versions i've seen but one of my questions for everyone out there is, where did the phrase pod people come from? <laughs> because they don't say it in the 1978 version. Instead, Jeff Goldblum says pod bastards. Oh, But they okay. never say pod yeah. people. Well, did that come from the 1958 film? That's my question. Is it, it might have. Uh, 56? I don't know. I have it in here somewhere. Yeah, 56. It's, it's written down somewhere. It's somewhere. Rupert? is already excited to talk about how this entered the lexicon. Yes, he is. Um, I mean, without having seen that version of the right? film. Maybe. That seems very likely. Yeah. But. but it's also, there are quite a few other science fiction stories that have similar plots yes. that might yeah, have so, coined the phrase I mean, because like, people. you say pod people and everybody instantly knows what you're talking about. Yes. But I was like, so as we were watching the movie, I was like waiting for them to say pod people. They never say in the book. And they never say it in the movie. So I was like, That's interesting. interesting. Where did that is. come from? So yeah, so that's just another question I have for the world. That's like, um, uh, and I'm going to get totally off topic now. <laughs> Isn't it true that uh, Sherlock Holmes never actually says elementary, my dear Watson, in very the true. original stories? It's very and true. And yet we all know that mm-hmm. he says that. Well, he never really wears a deerstalker cap either. That just came from the, the, the TV, the movies. <laughs> I like how you couldn't remember the word for movie. <laughs> Because I, well, I couldn't. Well, 2019 <laughs> is already exhausting. It's, it's Let's just—it <laughs> really is. I don't know how we're gonna make it. I don't. Oh, okay, it's—we're already uh, done with this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So how about we just go straight into six? Let's degrees. do some six degrees. I'm actually really proud of my six degrees. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, I managed to tap into several childhood favorites of mine. Oh, very nice. That probably no one else has seen. <laughs> um, so starting with A Christmas Carol, if you'll remember, many, Way many moons ago, then. back in the halcyon days of 2018, we finished <laughs> off season one with A Christmas Carol. So uh, Michael Hordern, who's in A Christmas Carol, also starred in Joseph Andrews mm-hmm. yes, with Peter that. Firth. 
Peter Firth was in Hunt for Red October, Yay! one of our favorite episodes from our first season. Um, also in Hunt for Red October is that uh, wonderful man, Tim Curry. Mm. Tim Curry was in another childhood favorite of mine, Clue. I love that movie. So good. Uh, with Christopher Lloyd, who was in Adam's Family with Angelica Houston, who was in Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, <laughs> with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> who of course is in the 1978 Body Snatchers. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, What's your man. six degrees, Sam? So mine also starts with Marco Hordern. He was in The Secret Garden with Colin Firth, the TV movie version. Oh my goodness, I had forgotten about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Uh, Colin Firth was in The Accidental Husband with Uma Thurman. By the way, Colin Firth, Peter Firth, no relation, right? No relation. Oh, okay. No, I know. Weird, right? Yeah. Uh, Uma Thurman was in... Pa- Uma Thurman? I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Uma. We're so tired. Oh 2019 is killing yeah. us. Uma Thurman was in Paycheck with Ivana. I looked up how to pronounce her name, but now it's out of my head. Uh, Milicevic. Ivana Milicevic. Yes. Uh, Ivana Milicevic was in Just Like Heaven with Mark Ruffalo. Mm. And then Mark Ruffalo was in Thor Ragnarok with Jeff Goldblum. Nice. Who was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Who was in Invasion of the Body Oh, so Anna, would you like to give us your book report? I'd love to. So, uh, originally published as The Body Snatchers, it was a series... Look what your cat's doing to my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Podcast. So I'll describe that Rupert is currently half inside of Sam's bag. What did you put in there? Is there catnip? No. Is there... (laughs) My hat. Is there steak? It's just my hat. Your hat. My hat. Which smells like your hair. Yes. And as we know, Rupert loves to chew your hair. Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. I'm sorry, but I just had to point that out. (laughs) Thank you, Rupert, for adding whimsy to our lives. (laughs) Kidding. Uh, Maybe you just want to start over. (laughs) I'm going to start over. The Body Snatchers, originally serialized in Collier's Magazine in 1954, was then published as a novel in 1955. Uh, later editions are printed under the title Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So The Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's actually the same book. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume the change is made to link the book to the, to the movie. very popular yes. film adaptations. Um, I also ran into something strange that I could not um, fully explain. My, the version of the book that I have, which I got from my local library, support your local library, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes all references to the year being 1976. Mine does too. So I wasn't sure if it was originally published in 1955 as 20 years in the future this happens, mm-hmm. or if when they did the 1978 print, because they they it's a it's like an edited, right. if they edited it and made it seem like it was more modern because the film was coming out. I tried to. I was not able to yeah, find I out. Find anything Google failed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is unclear to me what the intention is. It's a minor point, but just calling it out. And Rupert stopped doing that. So the novel begins with the ominous warning that what you're starting to read is full of loose ends and unanswered questions. Our narrator is Dr. Miles Bennell, a general practitioner with a private practice in the small town of Mill Valley, California. Miles grew up in Mill Valley, and his father was a town doctor before him. Uh, Dr. Miles has had a long day of treating patients, and at the end of it, an old high school flame walks into his office, the recently divorced and distractingly attractive Becky Driscoll. She has a problem. Her cousin Wilma is suddenly delusional. Wilma swears that her Uncle Ira isn't really Uncle Ira. Something has changed, and Wilma is convinced that though he may look like Ira, sound like Ira, and have all of Ira's memories, somehow he just isn't Ira. 
Miles agrees to see Wilma, and when he arrives at the house, Ira is there looking exactly the same down to a hair. Miles and Becky sit with Wilma, and she tries to explain herself. Wilma knows she sounds crazy, and she can't explain it, but she says that Ira's emotions are missing. Ira and his wife raised Wilma, and he is like a father to her. Ira can still recall memories from Wilma's childhood, but when he talks about them, the light in his eye is gone. That's the only difference that Wilma can point to. It's the way he looks when he's describing these memories of like her childhood. Right? Right. Or a pod person. <laughs> Miles refers Wilma to local psychiatrist Manny Kaufman, promising he will help her get over this delusion. Over the next few weeks, more cases come to Miles, and he refers all of them to Manny Kaufman. All of these people are claiming to have the same delusion that someone they know and love is no longer themselves. Let's go mass hysteria! Which, if you have seen season two of Legion, there's a whole thing in there yeah. about mass hysteria, which oh my was God, that super was a creepy. Really good, really good season though. Season two? Mm-hmm. Well, season one was better. Mm-hmm. Season two was weird. It was very weird. Uh, it was so weird. Like, but you know what? What was that I giant plug? Why was there a giant plug? You know, I'm really, I think it was all a delusion in David's head. Oh. Like the pod people. Yep. So, meanwhile, Miles and Becky are spending more time together. The recently divorced Miles keeps telling himself that although he's attracted to Becky, it is nothing serious and he is fine with just being friends. He's not ready to get into a serious relationship again. One night, they're out at the movies when he is tracked down by a writer he knows, Jack Belichick. Jack brings them back to his house where his wife, Theodora, is waiting, and so is a mysterious body that Jack found in his basement. The body is wrong, not dead, because it looked like it never lived. It also isn't fully formed, and when they check their hands, they find it doesn't have fingerprints. They also can't help but notice that the body is the same height and build as Jack. Miles takes Becky home, and when he drops her off, she tearfully confesses she doesn't think her father is her father anymore. It's spreading. Oh, no. In the middle of the night, their suspicions are confirmed. As Jack is sleeping, Theodora sees that the features of the body in their basement has become more definite and is looking more and more like Jack. Theodora and Jack arrive at Miles' house, thoroughly freaked out. Miles calls Manny and asks him to come over and help. And then suddenly Miles panics. He runs down the street to Becky's house, breaks into her basement, and finds another not-corpse growing in her basement. This was really actually a really fun scene to read. It did a really was a good job weird it. scene to read. <laughs> because Miles abducts Becky and carries her out of her house. And he wa- she wakes up in his arms and is like, Hey, Miles! <laughs> this is weird. And it's like all first-person narration. I know! It's like describing that like you're just having a mental breakdown. Yeah, I clear. think she takes it well. She does. He's clearly the hero in his own story. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> It's like, hey, did you need something, dude? (laughs) Anyways, by the time he gets Becky Becky back to his house, Jack, Theodora, and Manny are waiting. The men go back to the Belichick house but find that Jack's duplicate is now gone. Where they left the body, there is only gray fluff. Manny, and I am really proud of this, Manny explains (laughs) to them... Nice. That they must have misunderstood what they saw. Although he can't explain what happened to the corpse, he believes them that there was a body, but not that it was a growing Jack double. In the cold light of morning, they almost believe him. 
But Theodora is still too scared to go home, so Miles invites them to stay with him for a while. Miles goes back to work that day, and patient after patient, who had previously claimed that a loved one was being replaced, recants their story. Even Wilma now admits that she was wrong before. Just as Manny predicted. Mm -hmm. Back at the house that evening, Miles and Becky share a smooch on the porch, and of slightly lesser importance, they find four growing pod people in the basement. <laughs> Just minor convenience. The, yep. The couples run for it, stopping along the way to burn two more pods that they find in the trunk of their car. <laughs> Uh, and then finally stop at a hotel. The next morning, they realize they have to go back. No, oh, no. When they arrive back in Mill Valley, the two couples separate. Becky and Miles walk through town and notice how run down it looks. The houses and streets are not being cared for, and everything is looking shabby. There are more and more empty storefronts. Apparently, they woke up in 2019. <laughs> it's as if the town is trying less and has given up caring. Pod people, apparently, don't care about curb appeal. Mm-mm. The pods know Miles and Becky are back, and the ruse of normalcy is soon abandoned as they are chased around town until they finally hide in Miles' office. From there they watch as the people of the town gather in the square. They watch the few remaining outsiders are rounded up and escorted to the police station, and then trucks of pods are driven down the street in broad daylight and handed out to townspeople with friends and family and neighboring communities. The pods have full control of Mill Valley and are now spreading. The pods, led by Manny, come to Miles' office. They try to reason with Miles and Becky, explaining that the pods grew from spores that traveled through space and claiming that the transition doesn't hurt. Um, the pods don't try to hurt or fight Becky and Miles. They know they don't have to. They just have to wait for the two of them to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Becky and Miles convince the pods to give them some privacy in Miles' office, knowing that they can't escape. Two pods are placed just on the other side of the door, and, and as soon as Miles and Becky fall asleep, they will be replaced. But instead, Becky and Miles, being in a doctor's office, <laughs> help themselves with some free samples. They uh, take a bunch of uppers. Good for them. And then come up with a plan. Miles just happens to have two skeletons in his closet, actual Physical. skeletons, because mm -hmm. doctor. Yep. They put them just on the inside of the door so the pods will replicate the skeletons instead of them. Which is rather ingenious if you think about it's it. It's a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Of the science, but it works, it so works. whatever. Uh, then when the pod people come to claim Becky and Miles, they attack them with syringes full of morphine. Uh, again, taken from Miles' office because he's a doctor yeah. and he has these things, and the pods just, you know... I don't think about this kind of thing. ...didn't search the office and remove these things. Well, I don't think they're quite used to so much resistance. Yeah, the pod people are not very imaginative. No. No. Don't like curb appeal and not imaginative. So now Miles and Becky are on the run again. They manage to lose their pursuers in the woods surrounding the town, but they soon realize that they are no longer being chased. The pod people don't have to chase them. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is make sure they block all the ways oh, out of yep. town, and eventually Becky and Miles will fall asleep. So while Becky and Miles are walking through the fields, they come across a field where new pods are being grown. They decide they'd rather go out fighting, and so they spill barrels of gasoline down the field and set it on fire. Not every pod is burned, but it is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It turns out pod people also don't like confrontation. <laughs> and enough humans, not just Miles and Becky, have fought back to make it not worth the effort. The remaining pods float into the sky, float into the sky to head towards another planet with inhabitants who are a little less obnoxious. Meanwhile, the existing pod people continue to live in Mill Valley until they die of natural causes. In five years. In five years. Pod people only live five years, so... Uh, Within a short amount of time, all the residents who were replaced are gone, 
and the damage that was done will fade and be forgotten. You know, it would be really nice if our government would just give up and go back into space. <laughs> are you are you exhausted by 2019, Sam? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when will it stop? <laughs> so it's actually a somewhat uplifting ending. It is. Which is I was different surprised by that. From every film version. All the other versions are so nihilistic, and I just finally thought of that word. I was like, what is the word I'm looking for about mm. the ending? And that was it. Nihilistic. Nihilistic. I was going for gut-wrenchingly depressing. But that as well. Nihilistic that, is yeah. good, too. It, they, come, they both work in yeah. different ways. Uh, speaking of nihilism, Sam, do you want to talk about <laughs> the film yes. version? Yes. All right. Let me, let me do so. Um, so Invasion of the Body Snatchers was released in 1978 with a screenplay by W.D. Richter and directed by Philip Kaufman and features special sound effects by Ben Burt of Star Wars fame. Oh, really? Yes. I'm okay. assuming he did the scream of this pod, people. That with that iconic scream, that which iconic everyone scream. knows. I'm guessing. I don't know for sure. Um, it starred Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Veronica Cartwright, Leonard Nimoy, and our patron saint, Jeff Goldblum. Um, Blessed be his name. I know, right? Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Um, So technically, I think the movie is actually considered a remake of the 1956 adaptation Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie. Yes. um, Which I've never seen. But I can actually believe that because this movie shares very little in common with its book source material. Well, in the the 1950s version, though, he is still a doctrine. Right. Like the, the they change. Yeah, it's like, so much it's like this is a sequel or something. A reimagining. Re- it's very weird. I mean, it's good, but it's very weird. Um, so Miles Bennell, small small town Mill Valley doctor, has become Matthew Bennell, an inspector with the San Francisco Health Department. So, which why is that the glamorous job he's given? <laughs> he's the hero of the health department. <laughs> Um, and it's just, it's, it's really funny because you go from small town to big city where everything's anonymous anyway. So it just makes it even more, it's a very different feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matthew Benell is a complete jerk. Yes. <laughs> you don't even need to say anything no. else about the movie. Just summary. Matthew Benell is a jerk. jerk. Complete jerk. Um, Becky Driscoll, newly divorced love interest in the book, becomes Elizabeth Driscoll, health department colleague who is living in sin with someone not Matthew, but is still the love interest of Matthew. Well, her love interest, like, does become a pod person. Right, but, I mean, the movie takes place in, like, five days. Yeah. But then, like, before she even discovers he's a, there's tension between her and Matthew. Yeah. Also, even before he becomes a pod person, he seems like he's kind of oh a my God, jerk. He's All he does is, oh. like, watch sports. He, like, puts his headphones on and watches basketball. I'm like, okay, oh. that's not for me. Um, psychiatrist Manny Kaufman is replaced with psychiatrist David Kibner. Uh, Jack Belichick is lucky enough to keep his name and occupation, though his physical description is nothing like Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, his, he does grow ten inches taller. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean... It's fine, but I was just like, okay. Uh, but his wife is now Nancy, not Theodora, and she owns a mud bath parlor like you do. Well, it's San Francisco, right? You need the help. You need the help kick. Um, the film actually opens in space as alien fluff is blown towards Earth. Which, I have to say, that opening sequence was, was really great. And mm-hmm. it's always impressive to me when you watch a movie that's 40 or 50 years old. And the effects hold up. Yeah, yes. that's that's a that's 
mm-hmm. says something. And yeah. those those effects that it's it's it was entrancing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't know how they did it. I but don't I either. assume you know, not, not CGI because nineteen seventy eight. Right, exactly. So like their fluff is blowing towards Earth and they're eventually landing in San Francisco, not Mill Valley. And the fluff, um, and they show this all in the opening sequence, but the fluff melds with the plants in on Earth. And that's when the flowering pods start to grow and you see the melding, you see the growing and the flowering and it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a fantastic sequence. Yeah. I definitely recommend like watching it for that alone. Um, Watch that. <laughs> and get then- to Robert Duvall. <laughs> and then you just turn it off. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the highlights. <laughs> so the flowering pods start growing and we flash through the city as the pods grow throughout, including an inexplicable shot of Robert Duvall <laughs> as a priest on, on a, a swing. swing. Because I, my, I don't know. I think my favorite part of watching this movie was you with was, was both going like, was that Robert? Was that Robert Duvall? And, and we're like, and like I had to look it up on IMDb right then. Yeah, there. it was like it can't be. <laughs> and I think the best part is that he never comes back. No, he never it's just comes one back. shot just of him on a shot. swing. Yeah, I think he was doing it like as a favor because he had been in like another movie. Yeah, I, I remember I seeing know. that too. But also, like, why is he a priest? <laughs> why is he on a swing in a playground? Yeah, yeah. It's it was the seventies. I assume there was a lot of cocaine right. involved. I'm assuming, yeah, yep. Um, so a woman picks one of these flowering pods and brings it home, as do several several other anonymous city folk throughout. Um, we are introduced to Donald Sutherland as he inspects a city restaurant, finding a rat turd in some soup and being a complete jerk about it. He like picks it up and just shoves it in his face. It's a rat turd. Okay. But, Sam, if you were a health inspector and you found a rat turd, do you think I you'd be, be polite? Oh, no, but he was a jerk even before he found the rat turd. Yeah, but I assume... He could have handled his, it better as a professional. I, but I assume that his health professional inspector's superpowers meant that he sensed the rat turd was there even before he saw it. Like, he he knew. That's impressive. He, he it, could, It's in his hair, right? Yeah, he's got, like, a spidey sense for rat turds. Okay. It's, it's his mustache. His mustache has, like, <laughs> sensors in it that can pick up it's, on these things. It just snuffed it out. Yep. Nice. Yes. Nice. We're going to go with that. I keep interrupting. Continue. Okay. Uh, so it turns out he's colleagues with the woman who picks a pod, Elizabeth Driscoll, and she confines that her live-in boyfriend isn't ha- acting himself. She agrees to talk to Benel's psychiatrist friend, David Kibner, who is the Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, uh, of course, most famous for directing Three Men and a Baby. Yes. That's what everyone knows him yes, from. Yes, that is the only thing people know him from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a shame he didn't it, do he should have. I know, career. he should have taken off. He was such, it was such a star-making turn in this movie. Oh, man. At some party for a book Kibner has apparently had published, we meet Jeff Goldblum, I mean Jack Belichick, and this is when things in the movie start to get really weird. Meh. It's been pretty weird up till now. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that scene especially is very, like, Robert Altman-esque. Right? Yeah. Overlapping naturalistic dialogue so like jeff goldblum is arguing with people in the corner there's this other woman who's saying that's not my husband and leonard nimoy is trying to convince her to go home with her husband because it is her husband and he has like all of these philosophical discussions about this is the state of marriage and like you know this is what the world's coming to people don't people aren't connecting their relationships are abandoning relationships too quickly and i'm just like this is too deep for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, skip to the end. Yep. Um, but this argument strikes a chord with Elizabeth because she's convinced that her boyfriend is not her boyfriend anymore. So she says to the woman, I believe you. 
but then the woman leaves, goes home, and that's the end of it. Literally, Literally. it's the end of yeah. her because spoiler yeah her husband's really a pop person right <laughs> i've read uh, the book i know it's, i know that they're real we all know how this movie goes um jack goes home to his wife at their mud baths and later in the evening they discover a body that appears to be transforming into jack um and actually this was a really good scene because at first you know we know it's just goldblum because it's like shaped like him but it's covered in like this fuzz and it's very it's not again the, the practical effects were really it's good really good and then i thought i feel like the least convincing practical effect was the bloody nose yeah, on jack exactly. unreal jeff, unreal goldblum. jeff goldblum yeah so at some point he gets hit in the head um and his nose starts bleeding and you see the body on the table start bleeding mm-hmm. as well and you're like <gasps> And like the tendrils of mm-hmm. they're like, so like coming off of it and touching like that, that was good. really good. Yeah. Yep. And disgusting. Yes. Super so disgusting. disgusting. And like there's this one scene where this there's well in the mud bath there are people in the mud bath and I'm just like I didn't need this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like let alone alien pods. Like I don't need mud baths. In I don't my need life. this. No. I'm like <laughs> you're not a I'm mud not bath ready person for that right now. I'm not ready for that right now. <laughs> um. They call Math. They call in Matthew slash Donald, who realizes he needs to save Elizabeth. Here we go again. We don't have the running through the town in his night pajamas, no, but, but it is still. It's, yeah, no, like oh, stepping over some boundaries yeah. of what a friend should do for another exactly. friend. Um, he manages to get to her in the nick of time, but he has to break in through the basement, sneak past her pod people pod person boyfriend, and then he finds her in her nightgown in the bed where. Like in her little side garden, he sees like her pod person forming, mm-hmm. and she's like covered in flowers, and it's a very again very beautifully done. Um, but he like basically steals her from her house again out through the basement and in her car. And then the best part is when they go when they bring the police back to Elizabeth's house to try and say, "Look, there's another body." Not only is the body gone, but the police are like, hey, dude, you could have this guy charged with kidnapping if you want. I liked that they kind of had that. And it was, you know, hey, Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Maybe you should think through your Yeah, actions. it was like the police didn't. They're like, wait, so they're so you've got the body. Like, no, no, no. The body was here. I've got the real woman. So you kidnapped her. <laughs> I like that they like they're like straight up like, yeah. so you are telling yes. us that you kidnapped a yes. person. I mean, and it's also clear that the police are pod people at this time because yeah, they're sharing looks yes, with the guy. But, but also I mean, it was pretty accurate. Little... He kidnapped Elizabeth. <laughs> uh no means no, dude. Right? Ugh. Just accept you're in the friend zone. Move yeah, on. Exactly. Let her become a pod person. Yep. But both bodies disappear and there's fluff that's always getting thrown away and yes you picked up on that creepy red garbage truck Mm -hmm. that's always in the background always in the background and the fluff's getting always dumping and dumping the fluff fluff. yep um so they so matthew elizabeth jack and nancy work out that the pods are somehow behind the people disappearing or becoming different um, but nobody believes them um, and so there's this great scene in when they're all at Matthew's house and they're trying not to fall asleep, but they all kind of do. Donald Sutherland's in the garden. The other guys are in the house. There's the pot, like all four pods are in the garden and they're all turning into people and the tendrils are like creeping up to grab Donald's hand and you're like watching it turn oh, into him and with the hair. So, and, uh, and you just want to like jump to the screen mm-hmm, and, and you're like, wake up, make wake them up. stop. Uh, luckily Nancy saves the day by waking up Matthew. Yeah, Nancy is the She's, actual hero of this she movie. She really is. Um, but anyways. 
So, and then we also learn that we, the audience, or the pod people, are all somehow linked together, and that they can all sense when there's some when a pod when a pod's getting hurt. Mm. So I think when they're destroying the pods in the garden, you can see other pod people reacting, mm. and then um, they all they um, produce this horrible shrieking noise when they're pointing out non pod people, which is not in the book. No, it's not in the book at all. None of this is in the book. Um, so it's a it's a pretty handy skill. Yeah, to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's really annoying it's like when i but... see someone who i know is not a listener of adapter to the Anna and sam right, i can go, sense ah! it uh, yes that's exactly what i do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well i first i put on a little fake mustache so i look like donald <laughs> sutherland hair. and yeah and then i i go ah, and i scream at them and i point it's great yep they kept that so in the 90 in the 90s version they kept the pointing and screaming thing really well, yes they did which again is weird because it's not in it's not in the book the book but it's so iconic from the 1978 film, version, they yep. kept it for yeah, it's, the later it's, version. It's weird how, like, all of these movies are a mashup between the book and all the different versions of the movies. Right. It, it is informed by... Yeah, exactly. There's there's no... It's like, it's all become a world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... I mean, but that's what happens. It's exactly. like we all picture Sherlock Holmes and the Deerstalker cap. Mm-hmm. So every new adaptation of Sherlock Holmes borrows something from mm-hmm. another adaptation of it. Absolutely. I mean, they have to. How these things work, yeah, exactly. though. Everything evolves. Except for pod people. That's true. Except they for just die people. after five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two couples, Matthew and Elizabeth and Jack and Nancy, they fight back against the pod people, but eventually get separated. Um this movie ends a little bit differently than the book. Mm. Uh, both Jack and Elizabeth turn into pod people, while Matthew just tries to destroy all the pods, but doesn't really do a very good job of it. They still have the scene where they're t- giving out the pods to the people. Mm-hmm. Although this time it's at night. It's at night, and it's they don't have the buttons. It's not as yeah. organized. It's and they also have, of course, the uh, yes. creepy dog person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you talk? Did you have? I don't talk notes. about it. Well, I talk about that in my awards. You have an award for I it? I have an award for it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I would just like to talk about... What was that? <laughs> that was so disturbing. Yeah. I mean, so one of the great things about this movie... I'm not sure if it's great or if it's just I liked it because I it worked out so well. But you know, throughout the movie, they just flashed to random people. Yeah. Oh, it is a you, well-made movie. There's a yeah. lot of thought that... I mean, some of the things are weird, yeah. but there's a lot of thought that went yeah. into and all like, of these choices. For, except for Robert Duvall, for the most part. When you, <laughs> when you flash to random people, they do show up later. Yeah. And so one of the things that they flash to is is this homeless man and his dog. We see him several times. We see him several times. And he interacts with characters, and he's clearly well-known around the neighborhood. Uh, in one of the scenes where, where Matthew and Elizabeth are running away... You see both the man and his dog asleep on the ground with paws next to them, kind of with their tendrils yeah. reaching out. And they do nothing. Yeah. Like, how easy would it have been for to just Matthew wake to just up. step on the pod? Yep. yep. Just yeah. smash they it with just, your foot and keep running. You're yeah, running anyway. They don't anyways. actually try to save anyone else other yeah, than themselves. Yeah, which I mm-hmm. shake my finger at that. Yes. I wag yep. my finger judgingly at that. Yep. Um, but then later on in the movie, when Elizabeth and Matthew are trying to pretend to be bod- pod people, so they by can, not showing emotion, by not showing emotion, they to get away. Elizabeth gives it up by screaming like a by screaming because the dog has been awoken as from his pod person with the dude's face. Somehow the pods got them. They mashed mix them up together because the pods are not smart. The pods are not smart. I would just like to say though, if I saw that, I probably would scream too. That's true. 
I mean, to give be fair to Elizabeth, it would be hard not to because she wasn't know. expecting it like we were. Right. She couldn't yeah. Couldn't have foreseen that coming like we did. We did she didn't have the the benefit of the shots from the earlier. It would movie. it would definitely be like startling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that was a whole hilarious thing. Um. So Matthew is is trying to destroy all the pods and running away from the people and is hiding and then ends up hiding under this dock. Um. We next see him on the the next day on his way on the way to his office. And as he's walking, he watches school children being herded off a bus into a movie theater in order so they can be replaced with pods. Which Super is very depressing. Yep. Nihilistic, in fact. Yes, very nihilistic. Uh, and so then he goes to his office where he just sits cutting out, you know, articles from papers like he does. Um, like he did before. Like he did before. At the beginning of the film. At the beginning of the film. Um, Elizabeth is there just sitting in a chair, staying off to space. Who we know is a pod person. We know she's she's a pod person. We saw her chair. Nobody in the office is actually doing any work. They're all just sitting there. Um, And so then on his way home, he encounters Nancy. And Nancy's like, Matthew? And then the movie ends with the spoilerific, iconic shot of Donald Sutherland pointing at Veronica Cartwright as he opens his mouth and screams, just like a pod person. Yep. Matthew's been converted. And that's how the movie and ends. And that's how the movie ends. So basically, the movie ends on a completely different note from the book. A complete sense of hopelessness and inevitability. There's no point to escape because there is no escape. And we don't learn in the book, in the movie, they don't talk about how they only live for five years. Um, how basically, if they do convert the Earth, everything would just turn to dust in five years anyways. And that's why they have to keep escaping. Yep. It's a big thing. It's, why bother trying? We're all doomed. Exactly. Um, just a note about the score. So the score is uh, this heavy synth jazz type of thing, uh, which is occasionally jarring and takes you out of a scene. But for the most part, I thought it was incredibly effective at actually establishing the mood of certain scenes. I, w- I would say overall, this is a very well-made movie. Yes, I mean, I would agree. there were a few things that were very random. <laughs> yes. Robert but, Duvall, you know, looking at you. Bold choices. Bold yep. choices very were bold made. bold choices. And I think it, especially considering how long ago it was made, like it yeah. holds up fairly well. Oh yeah. And the effects actually like translate really well into a screen. You know how like sometimes you'll see movies in the, from the eighties and nineties that are displayed on like an HD TV now. And you can oh yeah. You can clearly see the effects. I did not you know. You can see the wires. Yeah. No, I and those, to that and those pods movie. were super disgusting. They really were. Like when you, that whole sequence where Donald Sutherland's falling asleep in the garden and the pod, you see the pod like, birthing forth mm-hmm. the unformed person yeah. and then it's growing and yeah. the sound effects are disgusting it was yep. it was very effective it was very i think it accomplished effective. what it set out to do which was to yep. gross me out yeah um so just, well done yeah exactly uh, just one last note on the movie though um there are a number of cameos from cast and crew of the 1956 version movie movie version directed by don siegel um and i missed every single one of them because i didn't know any of them didn't know any of them were. and so i had to read about them on imdb trivia I just thought everybody would enjoy that. It's a, f- a fun little fun there little Easter eggs for trivia. fans of the '50s version. I don't know. That's what IMDb movie trivia is for. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah, so that is the 1978 version. So I definitely recommend everyone see it because it is a very well done movie, in my opinion. I recommend everyone see it except for my mom. I think she'd be too scared. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Although, actually, I don't know. She saw movies in the '70s. It's possible she's already seen it. <laughs> that's true. And I do think everyone should read the book as well because it is actually quite an enjoyable story. It's a it's a good read and it's a fast read. It's, it's a not very a fast long read. Book. No. no, I think so. like nowadays it would be considered a novella. 
I don't know what the criteria is. It's short. Like, that's my is criteria. There, who is like who made that? Who makes the official cutoff? Um, we do now. Oh, okay. Well, we're then we're just gonna call it a novella. Yeah, yeah. Good for us. Whee! All right. <laughs> well, Sam, shall we have some fun and games? Yes. Let's start with heartthrobs and hairdos. Okay. Well, <clears throat> uh, my top three heartthrobs, shockingly, Jeff Goldblum. Uh huh. Donald Sutherland. Uh huh. Uh huh. Look, I'm not saying that I'm always into mustaches, but it worked for him. It works for him. Yep. And number three is Leonard Nimoy's half leather glove. <laughs> I was going to put that, but I was like, no, I'm saving it for later. <laughs> oh, I ruined it. Uh, who are your who are your heartthrobs? Um, well, I only had two. I had Donald Sutherland, and then I guessed Jeff Goldblum. Wait, what do you mean you guessed Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> what? I mean, how? What, what are your standards that he, like, barely makes the cut, Sam? He was just, he was too lanky in this one. I am sorry. I do not accept that answer. <laughs> Too lanky is not a thing. That's not a thing. A bath parlor. No, he supported his wife, who he loved, I know, that by going nice. to her disgusting mud parlor. I did enjoy their relationship very much. They were much. cute. And were cute. I was sad that... Yes, I was too. They were both doomed. <laughs> um, look, is, was it Jeff Goldblum that is most attractive? No. no. Clearly, like a fine wine, he has improved with age. Yes, he has. But too lanky is not a thing. <laughs> Just lanky enough. Actually, I don't I don't want to body shame, but the numbers they gave for his height and weight, I was like, oh, she's so smack. Oh, no. <laughs> he is a beanpole. He's <laughs> not an ounce of extra fat on his body. Oh, that poor man. Uh, he was perfect casting for Ichabod Crane really in that made-for-TV <laughs> movie version. Um, what oh, are your What are your three top uh, styles? Uh, so Donald Sutherland's sweet, sweet mop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God, it was great. They had to put his hair in curlers to get it to look like that. Wait, really? Yes. Donald Sutherland does have naturally curly hair. No. So they permed his hair? Yeah. 70s are weird, right? It's so weird. <laughs> I was like, it's super sweet. I can understand being like, I'm going to embrace my natural curls, but nope. he did that Girl. on purpose? Wow. <laughs> All right. That was, yeah. I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. Chalk that up with um, Sean Connery's hairpiece right? from uh, <laughs> Red October, man. It's just some men make weird choices with their hair sometimes. Oh, man. I thought we had it hard sometimes. <laughs> I mean, we clearly have it harder, but this is hilarious. <laughs> but this is hilarious. This is hilarious. Uh, what are your others? <laughs> um, so Elizabeth has a really nice pussy bow shirt earlier in the movie. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So Veronica Cartwright's short shorts work outfit was my last nice. one. Nice. Nice. And like Veronica pictures. Cartwright. Kind of a hottie yeah, back in the morning. she was. She had a very I mean, nice she job. has one of those faces where she always looks like she's about to cry. Yes, she does. Which, I mean, she's been cast in a lot of horror That's movies. That's why she's cast in those movies, I think. Yeah. But I think she's a great actress, person. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my top yes. three styles. Uh, Matthew's trench coat. Nice. I thought that was... That was uh, a very, very nice trench coat. Nice. Um, Nancy's, uh, Princess Leia braids, yes. which not episode, not the first no, no, Star Wars uh, braids. It was Cloud third. City of Bespin yes. braids yep. that she was rocking. Yep. And then, um, Elizabeth had like dark teal silk pajamas. Yes. Those were nice. Which she was wearing when Matthew kidnapped, kidnapped her, mm-hmm. which I thought were really nice. They were very nice. <laughs> those are my three. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> 
Um, oh, okay, and uh, you want to do some quizzes and questions? Don't mind if we do. Um, okay, so did the non-pod people seriously not notice the overabundance of fluff that people were just suddenly throwing away all the time? There's like a lot. Well, is it one of those things where just people don't pay attention to garbage? Apparently, because it was in every single scene. It was in every scene. Every scene. They're always throwing away stuff from the garbage into the garbage truck or sweeping things up into the garbage. It's like, there's a lot of fluff, people. Yeah, this is not normal. No. Mm. I didn't understand. I was like, seriously, come on. Pay attention. Pay attention to the world around you. Well, maybe the message of the film is people don't pay attention to the world around oh, them. That's true. And I think they, they need to start. Mm-hmm. Interact yeah. with people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interact with your environment, man. Yeah, right? Um, so do you think this is really the right role for Leonard Nimoy to select in order to break away from being seen as Spock? Um, I mean, it's very different from Spock. (laughs) I'm not sure that the role was, showed his range necessarily. Right? I'm like, he was still pretty, like, unemotional, even keel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my last question was... Do you think that some of the suspense of the book was lost with the move to the film medium and the early shots of the pod? So I think that um, it's it's one of those things where you know the answer right. before you start the movie because you've already know because it. everyone knows this. Yeah. Everyone knows what the pod people are. So I think they do a good job in the film of building of building the story in terms of our, our characters discovering it, but it is tough because you're always ahead of the mm-hmm. characters. Right. And that's, and there's nothing you can do about that. Exactly. Like it's the, just the nature of the, of the time because right. everybody knows this story now. Yeah. It's yeah. like, who's going to watch Hamlet and not know right. that his dad's ghost is going to show up. Yeah. Well, I guess more and more people actually, because they don't really do it that much. Public school system is failing us. Yeah. All. 2019 is so exhausting. You guys. Oh God. <sighs> so what are your questions for me? Oh, I have two questions for you. Um, so <laughs> what why what do you think the thinking was behind changing our hero from a doctor to a food inspector? Um I don't think there was a real thought process behind it. <laughs> there must have like someone must have It didn't like, really matter. But like what inspired that? I mean, maybe maybe it was just for the one scene where Elizabeth tries to force her colleague to test the pods and he doesn't because he's already a pod person. Or is it maybe somehow a commentary on how they're part they're part of this big bureaucracy? Maybe, but you can still be part of a bureaucracy and work in healthcare. Uh, yes, yeah, seriously. So, I mean, like that's what we do every day. Uh-huh. I don't know. So, so the answer is no idea, and no it doesn't idea. make sense. No, it doesn't. No. Um, and then my other question for you: <laughs> So, which is the creepier move, Miles abducting Becky from her house while she sleeps, or Matthew macking on his coworker who has a livid boyfriend? Oh God, Matthew macking on his colleague as she when she has a livid boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Miles was kind of like in panic mode right. and acted. A little thoughtlessly. Yeah, but at least, like, he, he probably had, he, he he at least was aware of Becky's feelings for him and the fact that he knew Becky was worried about her father. Yes, she, so, yeah. But Matthew's just kind of like, hey. Come hey. hang out with me. I'm, I'm making dinner. Right? 
Look at my permed hair. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I go second choice. Mm-hmm. I I think that's I think that's understandable. Yeah. Um, is it time for some fake awards now? Let's give out some fake awards. What? Who's your Jeff Goldblum award? Shockingly, it's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I am not going to pass up an opportunity to award the Jeff Goldblum Award to Jeff Goldblum. That's no matter hilarious. how lanky he is. Who does your Jeff Goldblum Award go uh, to? It actually goes to the stupid leather thingy that Leonard Nimoy insisted <laughs> on wearing on his stupid hands. So um, <clears throat> I actually have an award for that. Through you? <laughs> yeah. The, well, the Rando Award is a tie between Leonard Nimoy's half glove and Robert Duvall on a swing as a priest. <laughs> so random. Nice. Uh, what are your other awards? Uh, so then the Oh God No award goes to the Man Bear Pig Wannabe Dog with the Homeless Man <laughs> Dog Face. face. <laughs> homeless Man Dog Face. Homeless Man Face Dog. <laughs> we'll come up with a a fun like celebrity name for them. Right. We'll think of something. Homeless Dog Face. Do you have any other awards? Come I have one other. Okay, I have one more. The, you could have prevented this problem award goes to Donald Sutherland for not smashing the pod next to the sleeping homeless guy when Seriously? he had the chance. Yes. Ugh. You could have prevented man dog face. Oh, man. So prevented it. Just think of other people. Honestly, Donald Sutherland. Ugh. I'm disappointed in you. Uh, me too. Or rather your character. <laughs> no, it's just Donald Sutherland. I don't think he actually like made that choice. <laughs> I don't think he did either. <laughs> What, and what's your what's your other award? Uh, so my last one is the creepiest thing I've ever seen this year award goes to Brooke Adams and her weird eye trick that apparently is a major turn on. So, okay, thank you for reminding me of the eye trick because I had forgotten to mention that in, uh, in my notes. Uh, that's one of those things where they definitely were like, Brooke Adams just has this, let's work it, it into it, the script. Why? Oh, maybe that's why um, Matthew is a food inspector because like... Donald Sutherland has food inspector skills, so they're just, let's build that into the <laughs> story. I have a look on my face that is so not I translating wish, well. I really wish this podcast was filmed, um. because your facial expressions <laughs> delight me to no end. <laughs> um, yeah, so Brooke Adams clearly has that. Yeah. All right, but here's the thing. When you're really into someone, and they do a stupid thing like that, and it's adorable, that's I mean, how you know that they I'm, should leave their living boyfriend for you. I mean, I know this is why stupid human tricks is a thing, but it did not think, make Brooke Adams attractive to you. Do you think Tony Shalhoub was like every night, honey, do the eye trick for me before they go to bed? Um, I mean, probably not every night because you know they've been together for a long time. But I'm sure when they were younger, hot and heavy, like every night, do the eye trick, baby. Yeah, do it again. Sure. Okay. That's I'm assuming I'm. Yeah. God, I hope Tony Shalhoub doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> Your wife is lovely. You are lovely. I love you and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> oh, you are God. both delightful, delightful whimsical, people. And I'm so people. happy that your marriage seems happy on the outside. Better you than me, mate. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Oh, man. Oh, well, this has been a delight. Oh, welcome to season two, everybody. Yay! It's going to be like this. <laughs> Every time. We'll be less exhausted next time. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of, next episode we will be talking about one of my all-time favorites, The Thin Man by Dashiell Hammett. Um, yeah, when we were coming up with season two, Sam broke a beer bottle, <laughs> held the shards to my neck and said, we're doing The Thin Man. And I, you know, I said, okay. I mean, 
slight exaggeration. All not, I, but but also not really. All I said was, "This is the one I can't get rid of." <laughs> I'm sorry. Can so I I interrupted you. Continue. Okay. All I was gonna say is, join us as we banter with crime-solving husband and wife duo Nick and Nora Charles and their dog Asta. Nick and Nora Charles are the Brooke Adams and Tony Shalhoub of the 1930s. True. So. That is true. I mean, I want to be them when I grow up and get married, I guess. <laughs> and I get, get married, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And have a dog. And a dog. And Maybe. solve crimes. <laughs> Definitely that third lot. one. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And I'd also solving need to crimes more. while slightly inebriated. <laughs> that's, that's the dream. It's totally the dream. <laughs> well, until then, uh, we hope you will help us spread the word. Please rate and review. Tell your friends, coworkers, distant relatives, strange homeless men, dog hybrids. Man bear pigs. Man bear pigs. How great a doctor with Anna and Sam is. Uh, let us know what you think. Rate and review on iTunes. Um, and, you know, reach out to us. Send us your questions, your comments. Do your six degrees and send them to us so that we can be impressed with your knowledge. Um, you can send them to adaptedwithannaandsam at gmail.com. Or you can post your homeless man mashup with a face dog pictures on I feel Facebook. Like, I feel like those are getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're getting less quippy yes, they are. as the evening continues. <laughs> Uh, you can all you can find us at Adapted with Anna and Sam. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Let's keep this really, really garbled conversation going. <laughs> 2019. It's going to be so epic. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna, and I wish that The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou was based on a book. <laughs> I'm Sam, and I wish Jurassic World was based on a book. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>